Good evening, good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Endless Elks podcast. Today is Monday, the 19th of February. I'm just checking there, get my dates right. And I am joined by Anthony and Anthony, Anthony Squared. So um, just to get this out of the way, McGinty, do you mind if I revert back to calling you McGinty? Is that, do I have your permission for that, please? Of course you do, man. I'm surprised you even bother asking. It's kind of like a lifelong thing now. I know, I know. I just don't want to be a dick about it. You know, it's best asking for permission. Um, Make it so, easy. I tonight, tonight, um, a lot of soul searching. Um, not the not the most easy of, of times to be a Celtic fan, but you know, we've we were long enough in the tooth. You know, we've been here before, so we're going to try not to get carried away tonight. However, we are going to have some honest discussions. Um, we've got Anthony, who's going to definitely give us a bit of balance and perspective. It's going to kind of rein us in if we get a wee bit too negative tonight. And McGinty, we do have the, the swear jar open for you as well, just to kind of uh, keep you um, calm. Um, but yeah, looking forward to tonight. However, before we kind of like start off with the negativity, um, how are you guys doing? Anthony, um, tell me something positive. How was your day? Eh, not too bad, mate. Um, obviously, it wasn't the... Obviously, we're obviously going to do a deep dive in the game uh, very soon, so... That was a frustrating day at the office, to say the least. But um, I, apart for that, apart for the result, I actually had quite a nice chilled weekend. So uh, I can't complain. I'd all the drive through to Stirling in the the morning before the match for um, for my boys' game as well. So I, it's not often I'm down that side of the world. So that's that's my one uh, sunshine part for the weekend. Excellent place to hear. And uh, McGinty, how you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad as well. Uh, worked over the weekends. Unfortunately, I missed the game, so I'll be looking towards you guys to fill me in on the negativity. But generally, um, I think I'm making peace with what's happening at the club just now. Still raging, though. That's alarming. That's alarming whenever McGinty is accepting his fate. Uh, McGinty, what's your, your football top? It looks like Barcelona, but what era is it from? It's the Barcelona one, and I cannot remember the year from the life of me. I was just escaping, but it's around about 2000, 2001, one of the... Uh, Kind of more original Nike ones after the Kappa yeah. days. Is that Frank Reichard days when he was still the manager? No, I think Reichard was after that. Was he? Was he? Okay. Okay. I think excellent, he was. excellent. Uh well, I had a decent day today. Um yeah. I made two curries. I made two veg curries, one with um potato and uh cauliflower, and the other one with um uh, chickpeas. Really, really nice. One spicy, one mild. Really enjoyed that. I'm popular tonight in the household. Anyway, guys. Welcome to all the viewers. Hope you are all doing well. Get your comments coming in. Um, are you uh, where are you right now? And and the kind of the prospect of the remaining part of the season. Let us know. Get your comments coming in. We'll try to bring up as much as we can. But McGinty, do you want to play the segment to to let the, the boys and girls know what we're in store for tonight? Of course, of course.
Excellent. Well, that is indeed a preview of the, the menu for this evening. Um, before we do get into it, before we do talk about the, the Celtic and Kilmarnock game, uh, we are going to open with a, a wee segment um, because we've got Anthony on tonight. Anthony, I've not, I don't think I've been on a pod with you tonight. Uh, I've been on a pod with you before. So I was going to do the wee kind of quick fire questions. And again, it's just to kind of find out where you are as a Celtic fan, where you fit on the spectrum and such. And just to kind of get a wee bit of insight as to what your memories are, what your favourite players are, that sort of thing. Um, Sounds good. So, we will start off with your first ever Celtic memory. Uh, first memory, uh, probably just my, my first game, probably, to be honest, Gav, which would have been uh, August 96. Um, it was what's now, well, the opening of what's now the, the Lisbon Lions stand, East stand. Um, we played Cadetti's former club, Sporting Lisbon, in a pre-season friendly. And I uh, can still remember practically the, the full day, like going through in the train, had my full bumblebee kit on. I was like proper John Terry material. And mm-hmm. uh, I went into town, get the Big Mac beforehand and, and all that. It was absolutely amazing. And, you know, walking into the place, it was just, you know, obviously it was only three quarters complete at that point, but it was like something you'd never seen before. You know, it was like something out of a, out of a film. And uh, we, we went two and all up, um, but then Sporting Lisbon pulled it back and it finished two two. But, that was my, my introduction, and I got the buzz that day, and it's it's never really went away since. Nice, nice. Uh, good memories. The 90s are a curious decade for Celtic fans because, apart from all the heartbreak, there is still a, a lot of kind of positivity. You know, I think it was just because we're on the cusp of something big, Fergus Buchan, Tommy Burns, you know, and we were kind of turning the tide. Um, so a good memory. Um, the three amigos, but which one were you most fond of? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Um, I've got to say at the time, probably because he he scored the first goal that I've ever seen at Celtic Park in the flesh, but I I, I did love Cadetti, just for the song as well. I mean, I suppose they all had the great tunes named after them, didn't they? But um, puts the ball in the netty and all that material. I'd probably say George, but I love them all, I have to say. Excellent. And by the way, uh, The Three Amigos, do you remember that that movie from the 90s with Steve Martin and the two other guys? I forget their names. Is it anyway. Martin? It's no Martin, Martin Sheen, but Martin Shaw. Was that the weekend of camp guy? Aye, aye. <laughs> as, man, I love him. Aye, aye. Brilliant movie. Brilliant. Um, who was your childhood hero? Uh, uh, first one, Jackie McNamara and... Broadening the horizon, probably Luke Skywalker, to be honest. But uh, I know um, on, on a Celtic front, Jackie Mack was my, my first because when we, we first started, my brother and my dad did the two season tickets um, when the stadium first reopened. And well, I think they still do it now. The the middle part of the programme used to be able to take out and put up in the wall. So my big brother just, was just like an absolute shrine to Celtic. And it was all the usual ones, the Canio Cadet, McStay and all that. But when I was wee, I couldn't pronounce Jackie's surname. Um, I always mm. pronounced it McNarama. Um, so for whatever reason, it kind of stuck. And then when I went to the first, my first game, you know, he was playing and stuff. So I always have been fortunate enough to obviously meet him a few times over the years. And I always say, uh, you are like for everyone else had the Canio and Cadet and whatever on their tops, and I always had McNamara four. So I got to be Jackie Mike. Full marks for originality. Everybody would kind of go for your, your number nines, your number tens, number mm-hmm. sevens. But to go for a full back, aye, he was a brilliant, brilliant player. Um, what's your favourite all time formation? Probably just because it was played in the Martin O'Neill uh, era. It's got to be the old 3 5 2 for me. It was just 
although we, you know, we did have pace on the left and we had with tricky players, but it was just it seemed to all be about power as well in the middle of the park. You know, Lennon and, and, and Lambert were just like an extra, you know, extra protection for the for the boys at the back. And then you had Petrov's dynamism and Sutton Larson. Just we, we bullied teams to, to victory, Gav. And just it was the first formation I, that I'd seen Celtic play in where we, we dominated them. Um, so for that, it's always it's always got a special place in my heart. Good stuff. Um, on a scale of one to ten, I like this one. On a scale of one to ten, how much do you agree that the current board run our club well? They run our club. Uh, oh God, it, it fluctuates. Um, currently, I would say a generous six. Maybe like a couple of months ago, it might have been a seven, but now it's going down. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think um, they, they, they certainly aren't filling up many trees at the moment. That is true. Which one Rangers player did you fear playing against? Um, oh, good question. Probably in in, in later years, I always used to that like Steve Davis always used to have a a, a good oh. game against us. I always just think he he played well in the middle of the park. My younger days, it was probably the likes of Loudrop or um, Alberts always seemed to play well against us as well. Can't really think of one in particular. There was ones that you hated because they were, like, you know, dickheads, but there was other ones that you didn't like because you knew they were good players. And, you know, obviously Loudrop and all that fell into that category. But there was other guys that, you know, like Nacho Novo, you just wish you could fling your house at them, you know? So that's a, they've got, got varying degrees of dislike. Good answer. It was Alberts for me, definitely. Yeah. Um, one historic Celtic player to complement our current team. Oh. Um, now we have had Jota for this question, so yeah. You know. Well, I uh, Ross, Ross brought it right up to date with, with that one, didn't he? Um, I'm mm. probably a wee bit. Too, I can't really claim um, John Collins or Paul McStay was just before I started going to the game, so I'll stick with what you know the ones I remember, and I just think. Someone in the middle of the park um, is what we're, we're needing somebody in the middle at the back to push Calmac forward. So I'd probably say either, either uh, one of the two. I'll say Lambert um, for, before Lennon. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if Lambert was a one-man club for Celtic? That would have been unreal. Oh, absolutely, man. He's, I, I think he. I know we we kind of talk about it sporadically in the group chat. However, so even despite how well liked he is. Um, I still think he was underrated at just how good a player he was for Celtic. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Especially in the Martin O'Neill era where you're, you're playing with other flair players as well, sometimes that does go under the radar. Um, what was your most memorable European tie? European tie? Um, probably say the Juventus game. Um, yeah. Still, I know... A, a, Barcelona. In fact, no, I'm going to change it um, to, to Barcelona. I know that's maybe... Um, a bit of a cop out, but there's there's more than one reason um, than than just the Celtic score that night. It was uh, a pretty good um, time all all round. So, some of which probably isn't for the a family show such as this, but for so many reasons, the Celtic Barcelona game with Tony Watt scoring um, probably my favourite day ever. To be honest, excellent. Um, random one. What's your favourite movie? Favorite movie? Ah, I don't really have a favorite. I, I'm a, a, unlike the rest of the boys. I'm not much a, a film buff, Gav. Um, but I'm a but I'm a, a bit of a nerd. So 
I, I, it's probably more franchises than actual films themselves, if that makes sense. But the one I've loved lo longest, as I say, Luke Skywalker is my hero growing up, so I've got to go Star Wars. Fair does, fair does. Um, Neil Lennon, hero or villain? Oh, absolute hero, man. Adore him, absolutely adore him. Obviously sad the way it, 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 it turned out, but you never, you never know the way things are going. He might get a chance to redeem himself again. Um, but no, um, adore him as a player. Adored the way carried himself, defended the club, stuck up for himself and everything he went through to to do what he did. Won a treble as a player and a manager. It's, it's, it's not just that he's an, an icon for me. I can't think to speak highly enough of him. Okay, okay. What's your favourite Champions League final? Uh, am I... I've got an affinity for um, the red half in Manchester down south, um, so it's very boring. But the ones, the ones that I've seen, it would have to be a two-one against Munich '99. Um, again, again, a game I can still really remember watching the front room with my, my big brother. But you know, and we all wanted United to win that night, so a special night. I, I do remember that game. I remember I was watching it in my kitchen, and curious because. Uh, you had Roy Keane out and Paul Scholes out. Like David Beckham was playing in the centre of midfield. You had yep. Jesper Blomquist on the left uh, wing. Mm -hmm. um, I think Giggs might have been playing inside. No, Giggs was on the right. Um, but, you know, like, I think Bayern battered them for about 70-odd minutes. But then, you know, Ferguson just keep going, keep going. And obviously the the last few minutes of that game were, you'll, you'll never forget That's that. that I mean, it, 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 it's not one of the, it wasn't a great, Get, you know, there's but to be fair, there's not many many European finals that you always remember being actually a, a great affair. Maybe you'd say Liverpool, Milan, but most of them are all very, quite tight in that, and it's just maybe moments that you remember. I quite liked um, Real Madrid Juventus a few years back. Um, that was a good game, the one in Cardiff. I quite enjoyed that one, but I uh, for just for that moment, like somebody one of the kind of JFK moments, and um, when you watch football, you can always remember where you were when it happened. And I uh, United '99 for me. Excellent. Right. Uh, last question. Last question. Um, in a must-win game, Calmac or Bruni? That's a brilliant question. And I've well, heard you ask it a few times to the, the rest of the guys, and every time I'm like, oh, I, I still can't. Do I, I would probably say if the, the next huge one is obviously April the 6th, and I would probably pick a peak Bruni uh, for that one just to kind of Put that mob in their place, you know. But love Cal Mac to bits as well, and he's brought it in plenty of derbies as well. So here's hoping that continues. But I'd probably say just for just for that shit houseery, shall we say? Um, I'd pick Bruni for the next one at Ibrox. Good answer. Good answer. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for that. I enjoyed that. Um, so we are going to get into things. Um, the the, the main part of uh, tonight's uh, episode, of course, is um, Celtic and Kilmarnock and the, the fallout of that game. Um, so, Anthony, you were at the game, as was myself. McGinty, you've catched up with the, the highlights, I'm sure, yes? Oh, yeah. uh, a little bit, yeah. I've been busy. Right. Um, well, so we, we dropped points once more. Um, I actually thought that the first half, Although it wasn't, they never blew us away. I thought that the first half was wasn't shite. 
uh, maybe I, I could I could probably come up with a better phrase than, than that to describe it. But uh, whenever it got to, to half time, we were 1-0 up, and I thought we should have scored more. We should be more comfortable right now. Um, looking at some of the chances, like Palmer, he was he bore down in goal. We cut them through and in inside, sorry, in, in the, the middle of the park. And the, the ball was on his left, and he just had to hit it first time, I felt. But he cut onto his right, and by that point, he had two men in front of him. And that was... Kilmarnock defended so resolutely. Um, and they've obviously kind of got on the number this season. Derek McInnes, ironic that Derek McInnes struggled so much against Brendan Rodgers in his last time at Celtic. But this season, Derek McInnes is really, really enjoying uh, playing against Celtic. And we could see it. Ida had a header um, from a Palmer wing play. And he kind of failed to make contact with it. Kalmak came in, scooped it over the bar. Obviously, the Kyogo goal. That was actually a really well-worked goal. Anthony, what was your thoughts on that? Like, If you remember, Palmer came in from the left and that was one of the good bits that he had in the game, but it was almost like we were kind of crowding his work and then the ball ended up going to Rouse and he floated it over and Kyogo was there back post to head it in. Really nice, well-worked goal, I thought. A good team effort. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I thought the, the it, you actually summed it up quite well there. Um Gav, and the fact that I thought the, the first half, I was there with my, my sister on Saturday, and we were like that. This is looking, this is looking better. It's, not, it's certainly not the usual, you know, when we're in full full flight that you know it, it becomes, looks a lot more effortless. But there was definitely there just seemed to be it's probably sound a bit like Brendan the Celia, but there was a bit faster tempo. I felt I think there there was an urgency to get things moving a bit quicker, and. I did. I did actually a brilliant ball in for Tony for the for the goal itself and Kyogo. It was almost Henrik esque the way he just that kind of deft wee touch mm. with the head in the far corner and you know the commandment goalkeeper had no chance. But I'm glad you brought up that 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 um, attack in the first half because I think that that almost perfectly summed up just just where the rut that we're in at the minute because it was a great wee break. Calmack done everything right. Just brilliant pass on to Palmer. And like you say, I think a fully a fully confident Celtic side in full um, flight either hits that first time and it goes in, or you know even if he does cut inside and takes a shot straight. But that was the other thing he cut inside and then sort of hesitated before he took the shot as well. It's almost like they're overthinking it. And you know when when we're in full um, flight, it's a case of oh well, sorry, right, we'll do, we'll do this again in thirty seconds anyway. There's just that there's that kind of swagger in the middle of the park. But it was almost like we missed that one and then it took a wee while before we got going again. And I think that was what was so frustrating. And like you say, the first half, I thought, great. The second half, you know, now the more I see it, Bernardo's miss is actually worse than... than we, we were in line with it at the time and I thought, oh, maybe it's maybe went out for a corner, maybe somebody's got a last-ditch um, touch on it and it's, it's went wide because I thought he can't hit it that high or, and that wide from that angle because they'd done everything right we got the break of the ball and he just he made a, a total mess of it but you know you you think about it, apart from that I, I don't really recall too many too many like real chances that we created in the second half and we, you know, we were talking before we went on air there about where, you know where I sit in the in, in, in the south stand it's all the we always used to say especially in Brendan's first season even though we didn't actually used to be ahead that often under Brendan in the first half. 
in his first tenure at the club and always used to be the guys running about us would be like, oh, that's all right, all the action happens down this way, second half anyway, because it always just used to be, you know, Tierney, Sinclair, Armstrong, you know, every, everybody would just pile forward and more often than not, um, the goals would would pile up as well. Mm. But it, the but there was there was very little action down down our side of the park second half and that really concerned us and I did think at, at one point I thought about is it going to be similar to the county game for a couple of weeks ago is it going to be a bit jittery near the end but we'll we'll see it out but you know without you know trying to sound to, you, you just felt for about eighty five minutes you know even Cal Mack himself you know normally the absolute essence of calm in the middle of the park he made two really bizarre this I, I can't remember like he tried to volley it i think in the middle of the pattern it, it you know it, and it, it, it he totally missed it and then normally he thought well it's going to fall back to him anyway so he'll control it and we'll go again but he but he, he totally tried to do the same thing again and it went went straight to the commander player and it just seemed we were inviting so much needless pressure on ourselves i know that's not necessarily a new, a new thing you know the, the building for the back and whatever but it just seemed that there was easier passes on than the ones we were trying to make but by the same point the, the easy passes we were making weren't it was passing for passing sake and you just the longer and longer it went on at 1-0 and I did fear the worst that it was over when Kevin Van Veen came on I thought this, this boy's you know he's a, a big bruiser of a, of a striker um, and when you look at by this point obviously scales and and you know the rest of the boys that you know it's, it's a makeshift defence as we know, um, and we, we were punished. And I, it's, it, if you don't kill games off, then you you run that risk. And th- there did seem to be almost an inevitability about Kilmarnock scoring, and that's that's unforgivable, really, when you when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a couple of those incidents that that, that you speak about, um, the Bernardo chance. I felt like if I'm being very kind to him, I felt that the, he never managed to get the ball from under his feet. However, when you need a goal, that's you want more composure. You want people to be on their toes, ready for those chances. And he 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 was kind of caught cold. Um, the other thing with, with Cal McGregor, um, so he was kind of like in in his own half, and like he had a radius of like ten yards where nobody was near him, and the ball comes down. And you're you're thinking he's just going to let I don't know put it on his knee and then like bring it down or something trap it, but he just took this wild wild swing mm-hmm. and it just propelled the ball back up in the air again. And mm-hmm. it's a bad day if you see Callum McGregor doing it because it seemed like it was infectious that even he couldn't, um, you know, uh, even he couldn't insulate himself from the the, the panic that was keeping through the the Celtic ranks. Um, McGinty. Obviously, you've you've caught up with the highlights. One kind of notable thing was that Palma was taken off at half time. Now, when I'm actually looking back at some of the the kind of the highlights over the first half, so he had that chance, but he was bearing down in goal. He was involved in our goal. He had a really good cross for Ida, who should have buried it with the head. Um, but he's taken off at half time. Do you think? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I have been harsh with Palma. But I want to hear your thoughts on it. James in our podcast has said that it's the style, not not specifically about Palma, but it's the style of play which has been asked by Rogers on the wingers, which is making them look inept. What's your thoughts on 
the Palma situation in general by him getting hooked at half time. That doesn't happen very often. What was your thoughts on it, mate? I think it's quite harsh hooking a player at half time unless they've drastically underperformed or you know running at that risk of a severe red card is like you know very imminent. I think it's pretty harsh to sub somebody at half time again. Obviously, injuries aside, um, it's got to be a confidence kind of kicker to to somebody to say half time you're coming off. We know I'm giving you the first fifteen minutes of the second half. My bigger question for that is: Was Yang the answer? Mm. And probably not. Um, were, were we ever going to get more out of Yang than you were getting out of Palmer? Uh, no, not really. Um, I was listening to the game while I was driving at work, and the one thing that I picked up most, I think most people probably agree with it, and you can allude a bit better than I can, but Anthony was saying it anyway, was the first half, we definitely sounded like we were playing a lot better than we normally would have. Like we're trying to take control of the game a little bit. It sounded more positive from the the commentary of it, and the second half it just sounded much more the the kind of sideways passing, the possession for possession sake. And I wonder if that was again. This is more for you guys if you've watched the game. If you're taking somebody like Palmer off, one of the very few creative players that we've actually got just now, albeit as we say, he, he's not playing the role that he's probably best suited for. And that comes down to the manager. But if you're going to hook him off, it's no wonder you then, in the second half, don't really create a lot more else, do we? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, that Palmer, what, what is his game? What is his game? What is he best at? Now, obviously, we know with the ball at his feet with space, uh, he, he can be lethal. Somebody said that in the comments before that he's like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get with him. Um Alistair saying Palmer did more than Yang and Kuna did. Do you think that... Uh, well, it makes me think of another player, a much higher quality player, the the, the guy um, Jaden Sancho uh, for Man U, and how he's, he's now been exiled back to Germany. He doesn't have brilliant pace, but I think what he does, and perhaps what Palmer uh, benefits from, is getting close to your teammates, doing the one-twos. Um, Anthony... Uh, do you think that that's something that that Palmer would benefit from? Because it's almost like he's been left on his own on the wing, where he has to either cut inside or go down the line. And both of those things are very, very easy to nullify from a fullback's point of view because he doesn't have natural pace. So, do you think that he probably benefits from working well with others, the one twos? But our our style of play isn't really suited to that. Yeah, I think that was one of the things. I mean, don't be wrong, see, when, when Yang came on, the first sort of five, ten minutes, he actually beat a guy, his defender, a, a couple of times, and they flung a, a ball in, obviously didn't come to anything, but that first ten minutes, the second half, there was a bit of the crowd going, that's what we're wanting Palmer to do more often, just take take the ball, beat a guy, and, and get the ball in. So, but then, to be fair, he, he was pretty ineffectual the, the rest of the half, but mm-hmm. I think that's one of the frustrating things about Yang. Um but in terms of Palmer, I think you're right. And I think probably Haksabanovic suffered for the, the same kind of thing last year. Um, I think there was times where it, it, it had little flashes of brilliance. And we've seen the same for Palmer this year with some some great goals. And obviously, that, especially that fantastic strike against Atletico at home um, as well. There's, there's, and the, the goal that, well, we thought it was going to be the winning goal. We did end up winning the game, but it was a bit more hairier than we thought that day at Fir Park when uh, you know, he whipped that, that ball in and it went in the far corner. 
So there's definitely um, a player there. Um, Gav, I would totally agree with that, but also agree with the fact that I don't think he's been best utilised in terms of what he what he's best at. I think he's 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 more technically gifted than he obviously is with with, with pace. But I think that's the, the thing with the, the wingers at the moment. At the moment, they've all got their own kind of their own unique traits. Yeah. But it's trying to get it all to work together um, at certain points. I mean, again, don't like harping back too much. But you look at when in Brendan's first season, you started you had Forrest on the right, you'd Sinclair on the left, and obviously Tierney overlapping. Um, Sinclair predominantly, but also Lustig would get up and support Forrest as well. And then obviously we had um, Patrick Roberts on the bench as well, who, who came on or when he started, he was a, a bag of tricks as well. But it just seemed... There just seem to be more the, the the wingers and the strikers and the forward players just tended to be a bit more in sync than what what the the current guys are. It's almost like we're hoping for the ball to bounce stairs or to get to catch a lucky break. There doesn't seem to be any kind of cohesive kind of strategy. I think um, I think well, I, I think we just look like a team absolutely bereft of, of confidence at the minute, and it's it's worrying because it's obviously now into the business point of the season and. Um, yeah, we can, we can only hope things improve soon. I totally agree with you. Unfortunately, yes, we, we do look bereft of confidence. Um, McGinty, um, one man who was in for a lot of criticism during the season and who, who, by all intents and purposes, will very, very likely be leaving at the end of the season, Joe Hart. Now, it's a bad sign whenever you, you start to notice that your keeper is having big performances because for Celtic, we normally don't rely on our keepers to have big performances in the domestic games anyway. But past few games, Joe Hart has been doing well. Yes, he does have his annoying traits where he, he, he seems allergic to catching the ball. Um, he always likes to punch it. But short stopping, um, he's been quite helpful uh, recently. Uh, there was a, a chance in the first half where they had a, a quick corner, short corner, uh, an in-swinger, and it was a bullet header straight at heart. Now, it was kind of straight at heart, fair enough, but you still have to make the save. He did that. He made another save in the second half, um, another bullet header. Um, would you make a Joe Hart recently? And I hate to say it, but we'd probably be in a worse place. We probably would have dropped more points if it wasn't for Joe Hart recently. What's your thoughts? Uh, 100% agree. I think he's every season he's been here, he's taken some sort of stick, usually around about November, December. And uh, people start questioning is he good enough to be a first choice keeper? The answer for that little question is no, he's probably not long term because of his age and all the rest of it. But see, for just now, in this moment, in the last few games of this season, he has pulled us out of uh, some sticky situations, as you say, Gavin. Could have been a lot worse. We definitely could have dropped more points if it wasn't for, for Joe Hart. He's a big character in the dressing room by all accounts. I actually had to Google that quickly while you were talking about it. I did not realise his contract actually runs out in about four months' time. And um, this is a state that Celtic are in that we need to tie him down for next season because we can't risk losing him, Seacrest, uh, Toby, if he comes back from his loan deal and isn't good enough, whatever, and that we actually might go into next season with Scott Bain as our only recognised goalkeeper. That's actually quite shocking. Um, I want somebody better long term, and I mean, no disrespect to Joe Hart for that. As I say, he's came in for a lot of stick almost every season, but I think he has over the course of his time here 
been one of our better keepers that we've had in my living history anyway. Um, but we probably need to time down for next season, just at least so we've got the experience of the backup if we do actually go out and scout and recruit somebody as a first choice. But that's a whole other question and conversation, isn't it? Yeah, it's a worrying thing. Um, like people did speak about the goalkeeping situation. If if it was feasible to spend half decent money on a future number one keeper, but to have him as an understudy for Joe Hart, I don't think it works like that. Me personally, um, like if it happened, I would have been you know very happy with Joe Hart and then a a, a good understudy up until the summer anyway. But I think if you're going to shell out half decent money for a goalkeeper who respects himself as being the number one. He wouldn't want to kind of sit on the fringes, sit on the bench for half a season until he gets his chance. But at the end of the season, you know, the homework needs to already have been done. They should have a shortlist. I'm sure they do. Um, whether that shortlist is quality enough, from our perspective, you know, um, Joe Hart certainly an upgrade in, uh, in Barkas, the, the disappointment of Barkas, but that will be a problem, problem position in the summer. And, we need to hope we need to hope that the board deliver on that anthony um i know that we've still got part of the game to kind of get through but what is your overall thoughts on the goalkeeping situation and how important is it to replace Hart? and i guess the other thing is joe Hart, a lot of confidence um a lot of leadership that we don't see really behind the scenes that's a void that's a drop off as well we bring in another one but we might bring a, a guy who's worth the salt as a goalkeeper but is he going to bring that that kind of leadership to the team? If we're not, if we're losing it from Joe Hart, we need it elsewhere. But I guess that's a kind of an open-ended question. Um, from your thoughts on the goalkeeping situation? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I know, you know, Stephen particularly, he he was very keen to get a a new goalkeeper in last season. I think when obviously when Brendan came in, he made the decision quite quickly. Then I think he made that point. He says, I don't, I don't need Ederson in, in goals. I mean, Joe's more than you know he can. He can do the job that that you know he's paid to do, and as I say, I'm I'm a fan of Joe Hart. Not blind to a lot of his his, his faults, and absolutely there was a, a few games pre Christmas um, where you know he, he was throwing a, a couple in, but yeah, you're absolutely buying on uh, Gav, especially on Saturday. Made two or three absolutely terrific saves. Not um, no chance with the goal um, has to be said, but. Um, for everything he brings, and like you say, not just his ability, but it's that leadership as well. And obviously that's something that we, we might chat about later on as well, with the fact that a lot of the senior players in the dressing room seem to have had a, a bit of reading of the riot act to, to some of the, the rest of the squad on, on Saturday. Um, you know, you, you only have to look at Joe Hart and everything he's achieved in the game. To, you, know, you know, he's one of the guys that almost, I know they all say respect is earned, but I think he has more than earned it for wherever he goes. And I think he's been... You know, terrific in the, t- the two and a bit years that he's been at the club. And then, um, having said that, I would be of the opinion, like that, I, you know, as I say, you know, Stephen's comments come up there, and I totally agree with what, what he's saying. You know, he wanted that change last year. I, I thought he was fine for, for this year, but I think I, I, I would agree with him definitely for the start of next season. I would want um, a new number one. I didn't actually have much thought. I just assumed with his contract running out that he would. You know, he would have earned that sort of walk around the the, the pitch, but well, we hope it will be Hamden as well, obviously, and um, lifting the cup and you know getting that proper kind of Celtic send off as as we're used to doing with the boys that have been good servants to the club. 
Um, and then he would, I, I can't remember which team it was that he, you know, he started his career, but I think there was always something about him wanting to finish on his book, on the, the books there as, as well. So I didn't imagine him staying for another season as the sort of almost the, the, the secret of the team. But you may have a fair point with the fact that, you know, there's quite a few keepers out of, out of contract um, in the summer as well. And, you know, I don't think Benji Segrist is going to be any any great loss, but definitely um, whoever takes over for Joe Hart, you know, it's, it's big gloves to fill. It sure is. It sure is. Um, right, we're going to wrap up the remaining part of the game. Um, uh, O'Reilly, he had a half volley in the second half um, that went straight at the keeper. One of those kind of like bouncing efforts. And then he had a header cleared off the line. Um, O'Reilly had another shot safe when he was kind of played through on goal. Um, and it kind of makes me think that like, there was a lot of kind of tight games, like even under Ange at Parkhead, but we just got that kind of rub of the green. And you know, we wouldn't really be as downhearted right now if one of those chances went in for us. Um, but, you know, uh, we can see the goal right at the end. By the way, see, I felt that one of the turning points in the game, Anthony, tell me if you, if you remember this, but it was roughly about the hour mark um, when we were playing from the back and kind of doing the horseshoe routine, you know, from full back, defence, defence, um, full back. And Scales just messed up his technique for one of the passes. And it meant that we retreated back 10 yards as the press mm-hmm. came fully on us. And at that point, you know, you could hear the murmurs in the, in the crowds. And I'm not saying for a moment that that transmit. Oh, you could perhaps, perhaps, uh, if we're being honest with ourselves, perhaps there is an element that that does transmit onto the players. But it was that particular moment I felt well, my scales messed up a little bit. He didn't lose the ball, but we retreated back ten yards. The press went on full fold by Kilmarnock, and we just lost composure and we never regained it for the remaining part of the game. And that's really, really worrying. Um, I remember. I don't know if it was last season or this season, Joe Hart made an error at Ibrox against Rangers, an unforced error, and Mm -hmm. we took forever and a day to get our composure back. It was a good half-hour chunk of the game where we Mm -hmm. just invited the pressure on from the the, the opposition. And it makes me kind of embarrassed how... how, how weak we are in those instances, mentality-wise, where if you make a mistake, okay, put it behind you, but it just transmitted to the team. Uh, McGinty, are you aware of these instances like that with Celtic in games where it's like the team as a whole are, are affected by this and it takes a while for them to regain their composure? I felt that that was the turning point in the second half and that's ultimately why we dropped uh, the three points. Is that a feature that you've picked up on? For years, um, that's kind of been a Celtic thing, has it? No way. We get the sound bites this week, um, where the players are saying that they're not affected by the noise in the stands as such, and that they actually feed off it, or you know, they're playing for the fans and they, they understand their frustrations, and whatnot. But it's something that we as fans we get that frustration because we see something happen that just knocks us for six. How many times have you seen? Something happened in the back line where, you know, was a bubble body back in the day would make a bomb scare of a pass. And then you just saw the confidence drain out the team. And for the next 10, 15 minutes, everybody's just waiting for that goal to be conceded. Sometimes it came, sometimes it doesn't. And we're kind of 
that that's kind of like this whole season right now, isn't it? We get the early goal and then we spend the next, you know, 45 minutes to an hour kind of just panicking and worrying and passing the ball around the back and just inviting pressure onto us, inviting that mistake to happen. And you can see it coming from a mile away. And it's exactly what happened for me in, in the games like Kilmarnock where, you know, instead of going for the kill and getting the second and third goal, we just, yeah, it's all the time. It's not just a one-off thing. It's not just... It's, it's the same thing my dad used to say. It's a tangent here now, but my dad used to say it all the time where people would want Celtic to run down the clock, you know, get the ball into the, the corner flag and just run the clock down. Celtic can't play like that. We don't know how to do that. We we shit the bed every time we try and hold on to the ball and try and kind of, you know, just play down the clock or pass the ball around the back. We, we just constantly invite pressure. It's not a Brendan Rodgers thing, although he's very much at fault currently for a lot of things. It's not a Rodgers thing. It's not a Lenny thing. It's not a, a Martin O'Neill thing. It's not a a Tony Mowbray thing, it's across the board we just don't play that way, perhaps it's because we should and try to play on the front foot, that we're just not comfortable on the back foot, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things, Gavin, it's not just a, a kind of one-off that we noticed in the command game or one-off that we noticed last month, so it's always, and it's it's now building and feeding into the, the anxiety within the support I think. Yeah, um, it, it makes me think of when we played Kilmarnock at Rugby Park earlier on this season, where I think we were 1-0 up at halftime, and then in the second half, it was all Kelly, and they ended up winning that game. Um, and it was, uh, you're watching a full 45 minutes of total domination by an opposition in, in the domestic league, and you're thinking, this should not happen to Celtic. Where is the leadership? Where is the in-game management? How are we not able to make changes to affect the game? And by the way, you might laugh at this, but I felt one player who was impervious to that type of um, uh, panic amongst the ranks was Aaron Moy. Do you remember um, last season, semi-final, semi-final I think it was, or the final against Rangers at Hamden? Um, it was like a half an hour to go and we are starting to kind of panic a wee bit. Rangers are getting on the front foot. Aaron Moy comes on and he's just like, I'm not even going to quicken my play. I'm just going to play my own game. Gets the ball good technical ability, he just looks for his man, um, he was not losing it and he was just finding his players, he was just sticking to the game plan, just doing Aaron Moy stuff, you know, just chill pill, you know what I mean um, I just felt like a player of his ilk uh, he was just too experienced to get bothered by the atmosphere around him and I, I wish we had more players like him, I know that people say, well Aaron Moy only had six good weeks at Parkhead Maybe so, maybe so, maybe not. But Aaron Moy wouldn't be affected by that sort of thing. And it'd be nice if we had more players like that. Like that. that that's another kind of accusation at the recruitment where we always go for project players. Why don't we occasionally assign an experienced player? Anyway, we concede at the very end, the equaliser. Um, Anthony, Bernabe, his fault? Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. And I, I cannot, because it was taking four minutes to for VAR to come to the decision, or it certainly felt that way. And in, in my, like, I, I didn't think it was a foul at the start. The, the the thing that I thought that it might have been just when the ball had came in, you know, it's over the far side of the park. I thought, or oh, maybe there's a, you know, a hint of offside or something like that. But then when the the big screen came up, it says VAR checking, you know, potential foul. 
I, even then, I thought, well, it must have been a foul on Scales or someone like that, because I thought it definitely wasn't a foul on the boy that won the header, you know, but obviously that was the one that looked at it. But, no, if that, it's a contact sport. That's, it's never a foul in a, in a million years. And, you know, it's just the thing that we burn the by. I mean, going forward, he's actually not bad. There was a couple of times he actually got the ball and went on a wee run when he, when he came on on Saturday. Um, but it's just it's his lack of positional awareness at the back is is frightening really. I mean, I, I would probably say for in terms of not doing the main job that he's meant to do. You know, if you're a defender, your main job's to defend. I'm I'm struggling to think of too many players that that are that are worse at that lack of being able to do their main job. I mean, I remember, you know, years growing up, they always used to, you know, guys like. You know, Mo Camera used to get it a lot at the at left back as well, didn't he? Um, but you know, but, but and obviously more close to Diego Laxal in the COVID season. You know, it just he just almost like he won a competition to play for football for a for a season. Um, but yeah, this guy's just not know the answer in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I get the whole we've got you know he's Argentinian, he's got a wee kind of smile on his cheeky smile on his face when he's out doing his warm-ups and stuff like that. But, you know, as, as, as whatever Celtic class is, he's no it. And um, he was pretty much just somebody that I thought we really can come in and fill in until Greg Taylor's fit. And, you know, Taylor had a, a decent game when he came back on on, on Saturday. But, um, yeah, for, for, for whatever happens in the summer in the left-back position, and I'm sure that will be an area where we look to you know, recruit, but Burnaby is absolutely not the answer at, at any level, I would argue. Yeah, I agree, I agree. That actually made me think, out of all the South Americans that we've signed, and granted, there's not been that many, but before I, I continue, Anthony, what are you drinking in that that that, that classic class that you've got there? Uh, yeah, I'd love to say it's um, so it's just um, diluting just black country diluting just, mate, I'm, uh, I'm half the baby for Lent, so yeah, rock and roll for me for the next few weeks. It's a fancy looking glass, aye. Yeah, um, it was a wee, uh, yeah. birthday present from uh, from part of my birthday look from the family. So I, I've enjoyed a few stronger drinks in it, don't get me wrong, the last few weeks. But, uh, yep, definitely the soft drinks for be here till Easter Sunday. Good, good. It looks like a, a kind of cocktail glass. Um, aye, out of all the kind of South American players that we've ever signed, can anyone think of a success apart from Izagiri? Like, We've not had that many. I had like Gamboa, obviously two Brazilians, Janinho and Shite. <laughs> need um, need we say more? Juarez was one. Oh, well, I suppose Mexico's more central. Mexican, America, yeah. that's more central. Um, I but, think only is again. Yeah. That's a shame. I, I can't think. Oh, off the top of my head, I can't can't think of any that's really mm. came in and and looked the part. Um, did, did we not? Who was it? Did we not have a Venezuelan? Um, was it not like Lassad Nui Ue was one? Uh, yeah, that, that was. It, it was about. I actually think either him or Miku. We bought Lassad Miku. and Miku uh, in on the last Miku, day of right. a summer window under Lenny, didn't it? And I think one of them started. I think when you actually look at the Barcelona, the team that started against Barcelona, one of the two of them were were playing because Hooper was injured that night. Um, aye. Incredible when you think about it. Aye, aye, I think it was Miku who started. Uh, McGinty, is Miku Venezuelan? 
He is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't really make much of an impact anyway. Right, okay, so game finished. Um, and it's uh, it's Groundhog Day. Uh, we've, we are now second in the league. Second in the league. Um, before we move on to the next point, we do have a, a theme that we try to do. It's the Super 6. McGinty, can you oblige with that and let everyone know the standings, please? Of course I can. Um, here's uh, something I put together myself. Absolutely not. Stephen <laughs> kindly passed this over to me. Um, I'm not going to get into the depths of it because I'm not entirely sure how good some people are, but we'll read off the uh, the kind of top 10 as it is. We've got Alistair Jack, which is still in number one position. Stephen's number two. Joe Finley, third. Kieran Gahuli, fourth. Um, down from third is Mark Robson at fifth, Ryan Taylor at sixth, Anthony yourself in at seventh place. I think you've stayed there for quite a while. Kevin Hampsey at eighth, James Bowie at nine, and our good old man Francis Carty is in tenth place, which again, I think he's been tenth for quite a while now as well. Mm. I think it'll be something that we'll have to get ourselves involved in for, for next season. I don't really know what it kind of uh, involves, but... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wait to get my name up there anyway. Um, right, so we are at the business end of the season. Um, now, performances and results alarmingly look to be getting worse as the season progresses. Certainly, a type of form that you would rather have at the start of the season, get it out of the way and then build up momentum. But really, we've not had any momentum this season. Um, what I ask you guys... Are we out of solutions? So how, how many games have we got? 12 games left domestically? Yeah. Um, now, if we win all our games, yes, then we can win the league. Um, but I, I, I don't see anything. I don't see any fire. We'll obviously talk about Rangers, but one of the, the, the things I, I, I remember in the Brendan Rodgers interview is, was back in December, before we hit before we hit the really bad form, um, we were playing away to St. Johnson. Now, after the game, Brendan said at halftime, that was the angriest I've ever been in my managerial career. Now, whenever you hear something like that, you're like, you must have been angry. Mm-hmm. And then we won the game 3-1. We got we got a reaction in the second half. Now, if I hear my manager saying that, like that's not good enough just for that, that 45 minutes. If he was that apoplectic, then... You should have got a, a spot. You should have got a reaction for a, a, a good part of the, the remaining, the, the, the following games, the subsequent games. But we just reverted back to type. I find that so alarming that Rogers can apparently lose his cool, start swearing at everybody, um, which is out of character, apparently. But yet, the following game, the following two games, we go revert back to character. I find that really, really scary. Um, so... Anthony, what? How can we put things right? Like, so again, this is the kind of balance I want you to bring to to the show tonight. I know that McGinty might be a glass half empty, but we've got a league to win. How do we change things? Because we've we've got in Ida and Kyoko with the partnership. Is it working? I don't know. We're still getting lucky. Was like we get lucky at the Hibs game, but then we drop points at the weekend. What solutions, what tactical solutions, what mentality solutions can we do to save the season? Well, I think one of the the things that I was obviously speaking about, um, and I'm glad it's going to be the the, the theme of the, the, the next article that we print on the, the Celtic blog, mate, is I think in terms of mentality, I think what we have to do 
and and you could argue that it should it should have happened long before now. And I totally agree with you in terms of the St Johnston game because we it was almost the other way about that that weekend because we were terrible in the first half, but we got a grip of it in the second half, and you did think from there we were going to kick on. In the midweek game, we think I think we went we won four 0 against Hibs that night, and you did kind of think well, normal service has resumed almost. But then of course you had the the two back-to-back video nasties with um, Rugby Park and then, even worse, um, Hearts at home. And one of the things I was talking to the, the guys about the weekend is that that's one of the things that I think a lot of fans are getting frustrated at this year. It's the amount of points. Obviously, we've dropped points, but we've dropped a lot of points at home um, as well, which is even what, you know, you think back right at the start of the season, we, we drew with St Johnston. Obviously lost at, at, at Hearts, but yet, but even some games that we've actually won, we've not done it in any sort of convincing manner. Um, I know there's there's reasons for that, but as much as I can subscribe to the the injury thing for to to an extent, I still do think there's enough in that squad that should be able to put on a dominant performance at home against the likes of Kilmarnock, against the likes of Ross County. Um, and certainly put up more of a fight than what we did against Hearts that day. Um, but when you talk about what we're saying there about Joe Hart and what he brings, but Cal McGregor, the captain, um, should be bringing, obviously, even, you know, it was Greg Taylor that, that sort of let it slip. Um, as I say, maybe just been answering an, an honest question to, um, put to him. But as much as I'm not a big fan of these public confirmations, uh, you know, you know, we had we had a an in-house clear the air kind of reading of the riot act at full time to the point that it definitely sounds to me as if guys that have been there over the course are probably and for me more in Brendan's camp and, and with the sense that they know that some of the guys that are sharing the dressing room we just plain and simply aren't good enough. And I actually think it's want to be money my hypothesis that I, I think that's why we didn't actually bring more players in in January because I actually think there, there possibly has been one or two more kind of similar kind of project type being offered at Rogers and he's absolutely just saying he's saying no it's only guys that he wants or or, or stop gaps um, until he gets the players that he actually wants that's why the the number of players brought in was so low um, in the January window my first thing is just about your actual mentality, having that swagger. And I think there's perhaps perhaps too many players in the, the dress, in, on the park at the minute that perhaps don't seem to get it, perhaps don't seem to get necessarily what's at stake. And, you know, the guys were talking about it in the double pivot last week about certain models and, you know, types of players that you can bring in, whatever. And that's one of the things that I would say that... You, that Celtic is always slightly handicapped with when it comes to player recruitment and the fact that that the part of the pond that we we can we can only realistically fish in, it's not just the the talent, the, the, the raw talent that you're trying to sign. You do have to sign somebody that more or less has to hit the ground running straight away. You don't get much time, if any, to settle at Celtic, especially if you're brought in in the in the January window, because other teams, you know, even big teams in the, the era de Vise or, or or whatever, it's not the biggest shock in the world if 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 you know perhaps say if, if Ajax don't win the league or 
if you know you know Brighton's the flavour of the month down south as well. But these teams, you know, even if they have a poor campaign, you know, nobody's nobody's necessarily saying too much about it. At Celtic, mm. the pressure's on. I think Paul Lambert actually said you're always a draw away for a disaster. So we're in full blown crisis in that in that moment. We, we know with the way things are going at the minute. We did look like in math eyes that we had turned a corner. Um, you know, we got that little run of games together, and even the games that we didn't play well in, but we got over the the line. You know, that's where I, I wrote last week about you know one and ugly still winning, and this is going. To, you know, wars. This is a dogfight now, and they're never going to be pretty spectacles. But even when you look at how we played against St Mirren and how we started against Kilmarnock, I just thought, right, well, win your way out of these problems, and then, you know, from that, there should just be like a natural progression back into the Celtic that we all know and love so well that are, you know, 90% of the time dominant. But Saturday just seemed to be, a, a you know, it's almost like one step forward, two steps back at the minute. I can only hope that as much as I don't like it getting out in the public space, and of course the, the media don't exactly need much encouragement to, to write negative stuff about Celtic, but if it's been to the point where your Callum McGregor's, your Joe Hart's, your Greg Taylor's have, just said, you know, enough's enough. And, you know, like I say, locked the dressing room door and went through some of these um, new guys and made it clear, crystal clear what's expected and what's at stake now um, with 12 games to go. That's it. I mean, I, I don't necessarily, th- I think the, the team at the minute, you know, with Kyogo in the 10 and either featuring, I think, especially in the first half, it looked like that could work for us. But we just need, we need something. We need something to change in terms of to get that confidence levels back. And when you do that, you know, the the the, the positive results can come from there. But I totally agree with what you know what the guys have been saying in the group chat. I'm, 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 it's hard to try and try and pinpoint exactly what that will be. But what mm-hmm. I would what I would say though is just to, to try and spin it on the other way, and I know it's went the other way momentum wise. You know, but that's you absolutely can't you, know, you can't ignore that. But if we'd have won at the weekend and they'd and they'd drop two points, I I don't for I mean obviously they would they, they don't have the they always have the you know the media whatever, whatever backing them, and you only have to see it tonight. You know, they're, they're, they're two points ahead, and you know. All the guys on Clyde One that are always saying when Celtic are nine and ten points clear that everything's still to play for are categorically saying this is now Rangers to lose and all this. It's it's, it's completely framed in, in different ways. But if we were sitting still two points ahead, they guys across the Clyde, and rightly so, wouldn't be conceding anything. So that's why I'm certainly not going to concede anything. I always say you only only celebrate a title when you're four clear with a game to play. I'll only concede it when there's when there were four behind with a game to play, so to speak. But to say that this is a dogfight now is uh, could be an understatement of the century, mate. Yes, yes, uh, I I do agree with that sentiment. McGinty, um, say you're the manager, okay? From a man who's played uh, football manager enough in his life, if you're the manager, what are you doing? Tell me. What are you doing to change things? 
I'll not be as drastic as I would be in Football Manager, which is literally to sack the entire team and sell them all for as much money as I can, then go buy Wonder Kids because um, we don't have any place for project fucking signings anymore at this club. Um, I don't know. I mean, in the group chat, I've been talking about kind of flip-flopping between, you know, Roger should walk at this point to kind of like hold himself with a lot of respect and kind of say, look, I've done what I can, but hands are tied behind my back with this kind of club that's been run by the board and kind of save himself some face with the fans, but at the same time, give the club a chance to get a new manager in to get perhaps a bounce that we could go on to something because something's wrong. Um, I don't know what's wrong specifically. Rogers can take a lot of blame, but I don't know uh, if he's fully... He's, no, he's definitely not fully. Anyway, not a question. Um, if I was the manager, what would I do? Information for, for what? I, I would... would you, yeah. Would you change information? Would you go back to 433? I wouldn't go for the 352 or variations of a three at the back, which some people have suggested. I think that's a bit too drastic, and we certainly do not have the centre-backs um, readily available to do that for a prolonged period of time of, over a few games. Um, I would stick with a 4-3-3 or a variation of it. I do like that we're trying to play two up front, but I would I would be looking, if I was the manager, I'd be looking to lean on guys like Kennedy, and I know I've criticised Kennedy on many a podcast over the years as well, but you, you criticised today as well on the on, on our group chat. I think it was today. I did. I did. I, I was, I'm but, after, I was like, <laughs> but if guys like Kennedy, right, I, I'll hold my hands up and say he's, he's not a football manager and he's he should never be given the keys to the kingdom of Celtic ever again, even on an interim basis. So if the worst kind of thing happens, then no, he shouldn't get there. But Rogers, Ange, Lennon, everybody says that Kennedy's a great coach and he's. He's been around the block quite a few times at this club now. He knows what it's all about, and he's he's been there with Rogers when he was winning, and Rogers when he was coming to the end of his 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 tenure the first time around. So he knows what that that arch was like, that bloody um, kind of the highs and the the excitement of the treble invincible season, and he knows what it's like when it's coming to an end and things were getting a bit too passive. He also knows how bad it can be when you play a system like Lennon, but he also knows how great it can be when you play a system like Ange. So if I was at Rogers and I was wanting to try and salvage the season, it's all right coming out with all the sound bites and saying I'm not telling the players to do anything different than they weren't doing last year. They're clearly doing something wrong. I would be leaning on Kennedy and getting him to to start earning his keep and find out what else is needing done or what else is Rogers not doing that was being done previously with these players to try and get them to get some life back into them? And we can all tell you what, what that is, Rogers. It's playing with a bit more tempo, playing with a little bit more aggression in your attacking play, get rid of the sideways passing. But he's not, realistically, he's not going to do that. He's far too stubborn in his ways. He believes his own system works, so he's not going to do anything that we suggest he should. Um as far as what do we do as fans of his club and what do we hope for going forward? Can I ask we you, need to just hope. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you, right, so with the midfield complexion, we've taken out Bernardo, Kyogo now operates one of those roles just off either. What about if we put in Awata and pushed McGregor up forward? Yes, and 100%. Um, either whatever and put Kyogo back in there. I don't care about the centre-forward position, but what about Cal Mack further up and Awata in there? 
I'm not like, a massive fan of Obata because I think he's just too, ha had too many cameo appearances to either write him off or to say that he's a, a great player. But that is a change. Maybe it gives a wee bit more defensive solidity. Maybe it puts more onus on Callum McGregor to add to the creative side. Look, until we get Hitati back, he's been a massive, massive miss. Is that something that might shake it up? I, I guess it doesn't. That doesn't solve your wing play issue. But how on earth do we solve the wing play issue right now? It's just... It's a revolving door. You take a turn, I'll you take a turn. I'll, I'll, I'll go with what you're trying to say, I think, a little bit and expand on it slightly, but try and keep it as short as I can here. He needs more experience. Overall, the club has too many projects and too many developments. So, For the here and now, the best thing you could do is get as much experience and as much sensibility in that squad as you can. Is it playing a water? Probably. And I know he doesn't have much game experience, but he's got the age on him. Get guys like James Forrest back in on the wings instead of trying to play Yang and Tilio and whoever else that might crop up next week in a Mark Lowell recruitment budget. Get the experience back into the side. If we need to play with heart and passion and all the rest of it and just play through this, then guys like Forrest might be the way forward. Guys like Awata, keep Taylor and get rid of Burnaby completely. You know, Scales keeps his place. Carter Vickers comes straight back in. I think he's back for next week. And just get get level heads back in there and keep mm. it not simple, but get level heads in there with big experience who know what they're doing and they're not going to be caught on the headlights as such. Anthony, um, you hear whenever some teams are really kind of floundering, you hear the phrase "go back to basics." Does that apply to Celtic? Can we ever go back to basics? Or is there too much expected of us to, 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 to force games because we've got the majority possession? Can we go back to basics? Or is it ever that simple? Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those kind of cliched sort of terms, uh, Gav, isn't it? But suppose in terms of what, what we would, would, would want to be doing, and as I say, you, you were bang on with that, that whole passage of play in the 60th minute at the weekend where it's just so much of the pressure that we invite on ourselves is, you know, if it was a tennis match, it would be classed as an unforced error. And like you say, it's not a, just a Brendan thing this season. It's something that's happened for, for long and weary. I think, um, yeah, until, I, I, I think it's, it might just be something on the, you know, one of the other things that, you know, I'll quote, we're due a win or we're due a big win or something like that. And, it might well be, you look at perhaps what happened ac across the Clyde this year, obviously we went um, ahead, I think it was, I think it was when one point, or they still had their games in hand because they still had um, games to play, but it was, I think it was just before or just after they'd sacked Michael Beale, we were at either nine or ten points of a difference, and I think because they were going to St Mirren the next, on the Sunday, there was always champions St. Mirna did a great start to the season. Ranger, I think that was Rangers were still managerless at the time. I think um Clermont had still to be unveiled. So all the rest, like everything was set for another, you know, St. Mirren were going to turn Rangers over. This was going to turn into the league was going to be over before, you know, we started buying our Halloween sweeties and not and all this kind of thing. But Rangers then went out that day and, and they won, even though it was interim. I think they just lost that game in Europe to, you know, some, you know, five-a-side team. I just beat them um, over there. I can't remember what their name was. So, they say everyone thought 
it was going to be a walk in the park for St Mirren were the favourites almost. And it didn't turn out that way. Rangers dealt with things very professional that day. I think they won two or three nothing. And then it, after that, then Clement came in and they, you know, they've obviously they've went on a good run in terms of scoreline. I wouldn't, I would never argue that there's been many great performances in there. Um, but you can't argue with a team that's that's putting results on on the board. And yeah. um, I think that's it's almost like we're needing something like that. It might always mean I, I know for a fact I've already priced into my thinking. Come Saturday night, the phone ins and everywhere else, everyone will be polluting your your Facebook news feed that you know you never see them for most of you've not seen them much in the last ten years, apart from the odd Saturday. But um come Saturday night, they'll be absolute world beaters again. And it'll be like, oh, is it going to go to five? And then if they drop points against Dundee at home, are they going to go to eight points and all that? We're needing that to go out on Sunday at Fur Park and just just do something. Almost like you say, almost like a basic one, like a no frills, nothing, good, not even any necessarily big wonder goals, or even a five or six, nothing winner. Then, like, just going out, I use the term with Franny a lot, a hassle free 2 0, just go out, points on the board, and, and you get out of there, and then build for there. But having said that, that's what we thought we were kind of doing the last few weeks, and it's, it's obviously no materialized. So, until we see more evidence of us us looking like we can put together a string of results. Um, it's just going to have to be playing game, take, take it one game at a time, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. McGinty, um, um, some of the, the comments in the, the media, um, I want to get your take on it. Now, against St Mirren, when we beat them 2-0 last weekend, um, Neil Lennon was kind of... Re- you know, supporting uh, Brendan Rodgers, as you would expect, you know, um, no, 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 no criticism there. And he was saying, like, you would think that we're in kind of crisis mode. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing here. I've not written down his comments. But we stick it up for Brendan. He's saying, like, um, you would think that the world is coming to an end and they were highlighting that we've won X amount of games and like a, a, a spell. And they were kind of implying it was the media who was driving that narrative. And in terms of the media, like, I don't really pay attention that much to Scottish media. I certainly don't listen to, to like, the Super Scoreboard or anything like that. I just don't find any satisfaction. I find that negative energy. Like, I, I prefer listening to Celtic podcasts and, and talk to you guys, you know. Um, but whenever they said that, I just felt it was a wee bit like, don't take us for fools, though. You can't, you can't lie to the fans. You can't pull the wool over the fans' eyes. And they were kind of guffawing at the the criticism that, that, that Celtic have faced. And like, we're not in crisis mode, we're still winning games. But the the wins, the, the wins that we have been collecting are papering over the cracks. I found that a little bit patronising, um, just a little bit patronising. And then Brendan Rogers at the weekend after the game, he said, we almost got away with it. We almost got away with it. And then maybe Greg Taylor, another thing that's annoyed me is Greg Taylor in his interview said, well, it's only February. People need to keep it in perspective. But we are on the cusp. We're on the cusp right now of, without getting our act together, it will get too far ahead of us now. We need to arrest this slump in performance. Um, so I guess my point is sometimes whenever we're having moments like this, I want to see more fire from people. I want to see people calling each other out. And I don't see it like Anthony mentioned earlier on about um, Cam McGregor or, 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 um, or Greg Taylor admitting that they're having kind of clear the air talks. 
I don't see that as um, uh, airing your 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 knickers and dirty in, in, in public. Sorry, airing your your dirty knickers in public. I don't see that as a as a bad thing as such. Um, I think if you start throwing people properly under the bus, then maybe that's something that, that should be looked at. But I want to see more fire in the media. I don't want to be patronised. Don't don't piss on me and tell me it's raining. Um, what's your thoughts on? What we're hearing from the media, and does it annoy you as a Celtic fan? Do you find it patronising, like I do? If Neil Lennon is talking about um, the fans, you know, wetting their own knickers and telling the fans to calm down or it and crisis mode talks, and I wouldn't listen to Neil Lennon in any of this chat because you know the COVID season's far too fresh in my memory uh, for him to be coming out and telling the fans what we can and cannot feel, think, or see, or what we understand about football, because he clearly got that massively wrong when he was in maybe a very similar situation to what Rogers is in just now, which is the fans are able to see that the performances are not good enough, point blankly, not good enough. We've all been talking about this for, well, since October, being generous, being kind, that something's not quite right. We were looking forward to January and getting some fresh faces in to try and bolster and rejuvenate the squad going forward. Um, the media the media is one thing. Um, Gavin does win, because yes. Uh, the media <laughs> is one thing that I think the the club always, especially the manager players, always try to play down the, um, the effect that the media can have, and especially in the social media days. And when you listen to Rogers talking, even before the game, I think it was Friday's press conference. Um, I remember listening to the radio and listening to stuff that he's been talking about, and they were asking him about the pressure and the you know the run of form and all the rest of it. And he he was quite right at the time before the game at the weekend to highlight that was it eight out of nine or nine out of ten games we'd actually won and were actually result wise on a very good run which is very right to do. And I think if you attribute that along with comments that obviously Greg Taylor and Cal McGregor made post-game, I think those players, Joe Hart included there as well, and the Rogers are probably trying to, to keep something together at the club with the squad to try and keep that positivity going because, yes, they can clearly see that the performance, performances aren't right. The manager's changed two up top in some capacity, He's also very, you know, <coughs> very um, pissed off, shall we say, about January and not having the players at his disposal and the lack of quality stuff. There's no getting away with it. And he can sugarcoat it as he wants. He can try and um, soften the blow for the board if he wants to, but he's, he's clearly not happy with, with how things have went. And he can't be happy with performances either overall. I'll place down the tools another conversation for later, but I think if you look at... If you look at comments that Rogers are making, the players are now making as well, it's not something we usually do. And if they're coming out for these, I'm actually way off on a tangent. I forgot what your question was, Gavin, but let me keep going. Um, <laughs> if, if these guys are coming out with these comments in the media, it's something that we don't normally do as a club, then I wouldn't think that there's, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a very, very bad sign, but I think it's a it's an encouraging sign that there's, there's leaders in the club and the squad and the manager. I think it's an encouraging sign that they're trying to do something. They're trying to to get the 
the corner turn sort of thing and to try and clear things up with the players because they're trying there's something not quite right whether it's good enough or it's going to succeed is another matter um for me we're one game one game away from from this really being being it um they're still in our own hands and all the rest of the people want to see beat them twice and all that stuff and if we go on a run of games of eight nine games without losing again then you know, it very much does go down to the last three or four games and it really does get quite exciting for, for people who like that sort of excitement in their life. But, yeah. <laughs> mm. I don't know. You know what's kind of weird? I, I almost, if we were to like, play uh, Rangers at the weekend, I don't think I would be like, fearful. I just, I, I think there's a bigger chance of us slipping up against the, 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 the worser teams in the league. Mm-hmm. I just think that you know, if we were to play Rangers tomorrow, it would kind of take care of itself. I think the performances might not be as bad as what I would fear in my in my head. Um, a lot of comments about the, the type of underwear that I wear. Uh, you guys will never know. I will not disclose that sort of information on a podcast. Um, I want to move on to Brendan Rogers itself, uh, Brendan Rogers himself, and has he lost his mojo? Now, I am mindful as soon as I created that that kind of topic, that question that it's not all on Brendan Rodgers. There will be several scapegoats come the end of the season, or even if we were to pause right now and analyse where it all went wrong. Well, one thing, injuries, you cannot legislate for injuries. Things happen like that. And recruitment, of course, you know, that's, you can level that at Brendan Rodgers, but that's not his collective uh, responsibility. Recruitment, he depends on a network of people at Celtic Park to, to kind of deliver on that. But... One thing I will say is, has any player improved under Brendan Rodgers? Um, Anthony, I know that you can, uh, you do bring positivity to this, but I thought that this would be one question that might rankle with yourself. You might you might find that, uh, a bit of difficulty with this one. Has any player improved under Brendan Rodgers this season? I would, I, I would argue up until the end of the, the January window, it's almost, he's just pushed on it even further again would be O'Reilly. Um, and I suppose just with the season that he's having, you would say Liam Scales um, as well. But having said that, for a guy who's what, a huge, huge part of his reputation as a, as a stellar manager, it was about how he can develop, but, but you know, bring on several players at, at any given time. But um, I see James uh, Forrester, a um, good blogging friend, he's in, in the chat tonight, and I think what he's saying there is, is absolutely bang on with regards to, to Brendan. I think he's he's caught between a rock and a hard place at, at the moment, and I'm you know, definitely not blind to say that he's, he's he can't be sort of a wash of all 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 blame from it. But the same sort of reasons why he left the club. I think perhaps we were all guilty of looking at everything at that time through a ten-in-a-row prism, and there's no doubt that Brendan leaving put that in serious jeopardy. And obviously, we, we ended up failing to achieve the the quest in the end. But I think because we were we were so angry about it that I think perhaps even he himself was was a bit shocked at how how quickly Celtic fans almost it was like a circling of the wagons, and it was pretty much he was ostracised. And very much, I think the the timing and manner of his departure 
probably protected people above him from getting more stick, more criticism, and probably the microscope going on them more than what it, it probably should have done. Um, as much as we didn't like the way it happened the first time, I don't think the reasons why Brendan did what he did were were in the wrong, um, shall we say. I think his frustrations were starting to boil over from the summer before when, you know, and I don't want to go down that, that whole saga again, but that he'd got the, he'd progressed the club, he wanted to go to the, the next level and it, he was not, he was not going to the board with demands to, you know, go toe-to-toe with Pep Guardiola for summer recruits. It was very realistic targets that he, he gave and then the guys above them decided that they knew football better than Brendan Rodgers and tried to to, to, out, to outsmart other clubs and, and, you know, do underhand bids for players or in some cases just not bid at all. And I think what's probably happened to him is, you know, he's left and he's seen an opportunity to come back. He's obviously seen how Ange was allowed to basically bring in the players that he wanted and it looked very much as if it was a very smooth process especially the first two windows where he identified the players he wanted. They were all realistic targets. He wasn't asking for for the world. Chief executive and the recruitment team went out, got it, got the deal done. Player came in, fitted into the squad, and that was it. He's probably looked at that from the outside in and thought, well, maybe there has been a lot of changes. And I've only ever surmised, I don't think he would have came back to the club unless he'd been given the kind of assurances that he'd be allowed to have the same kind of the same kind of authority or autonomy, sorry, on on the team, the, the football inside the things. And I think very quickly, it's almost as if he's been led up the Clyde in a banana boat. And I think he is probably still people when we say he only cares about himself or whatever. But I think there's a part of him that thinks. As I say, he doesn't regret leaving Celtic, but maybe regrets, you know, the 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 the, the kind of negativity that surrounded it afterwards. And I think there's a bit of him that wants to right that wrong. And probably at the start, when he came back in, it was different when he came over. He took over for Ronnie Dialogue, which was a, you know, a team that was on its on its arse and it need it needed complete rejuvenating. This was a treble one inside that he took over, so it wasn't needing major major surgery. And he's probably, I think, at some point thought, well, these guys are potentially coming in. They've maybe been signed off. Well, let's go with it. But then very quick, but maybe with the idea that he'd still be allowed to bring his own players in that he wanted. Mm. They always spoke about wanting power and athleticism. And we've certainly not signed that in any of the two windows since he's came back. And I think he's constantly trying to, he's trying to almost trying to keep two opposing sides apart you know you have the board that seem to don't want to go any further than what they do and the fan base some of it more militant than others that are very very much against what's what's going on at the minute and in the middle is this guy that's trying to hold us together with a squad of players that that aren't necessarily suited to the type of type of system that he wants to play in a title race when he's not kind of universally loved the same way he was in season one and two when he was here first time around. So that's probably why you see some flip-flopping in the in the press conferences and that. And, it, you know, anyone that knows anything about communication, you know it doesn't look great. But by the same point, it's like he's 
he seems for me he looks like a guy that's firefighting constantly. And yeah. of all the criticism, the one thing I don't take is the the idea that he doesn't care or anything like that now because. I know there was obviously some chat about the way that he was carrying on on Saturday. Believe me, I sat down that way. There was he was apoplectic in the, on that t- t- sideline for lots of that game on Saturday, screaming at boys to be moving the ball quicker, moving it faster to get into different positions quicker. Um, he was really, really angry. Um, so I think the accusation that he like not that you're saying that, Gav. I'm just saying there's some fans, maybe just through frustration with the result, suggest that he doesn't care and. You know, he'll always be scarred with how he, how things ended the first time. But I, I I get the kind of in the heat of the moment calling for him to go, etc. But my whole my whole thing has always been he's he's the best manager. I that I still believe that we can attract or that level of manager that we can attract at the minute. And I totally can get on board with a lot of everyone's um, frustrations and anger directed at the, the people above him. But if they do get rid of Brendan or if Brendan were to you know, walk of his own accord, it would be those same people that we don't trust to run a bath, let alone a football club, that would be in charge of a recruitment process with 12 games to go. And I would be, I'm not an overly betting man, but I would wager some serious money on them not hiring a candidate that we would feel that would unify the, 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 the fans and the support. I think it would be very much a Give Gordon a call or get Lenny out the Sky Sports studio again. Nothing against Gordon or Lenny, you know, two Celtic greats in their own right, but their day's been and gone for me and I just think we should be trying to get behind the manager. Yeah, that's the balance. That's the balance I wanted from you, Anthony. Thank you very much for that. Um, McGinty, on reflection of those kind of points, one thing that I would say, like, you hear it a lot, like, we're a treble winning team. I remember talking to one of my friends who's a Rangers fan, and it was after uh, they won the league um, a couple of seasons ago. And I was saying to him in the summer, I'm like, you've not really bought anybody. I'm like, where is the recruitment? I'm like, you need to you need to strengthen from a position of strength. But I wasn't telling him anything that he didn't know. And he says, I don't know if it was kind of bullishness, but he said, well, we just wipe the floor with you. Uh, with a 25-point gap in, in the league. And um, we cruised to it. We went unbeaten domestically in the league. He says, do we really need to you know, start bringing in new players? Is recruitment really the, the, the main thing? I'm like, right, okay, okay. I just found that a, a perplexing reply. I don't know if it was just out of stubbornness, but I think even if you win, well, obviously that, that, that season tells you Celtic just got Ange, we, we 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 financed a new recruitment, and then you, you saw what happened. You saw what happened over the next two years, and that's an example of why you need to strengthen even from a position of winning. And even though we won the treble last season, it's back to back to the start, back to basics, back to square one. It doesn't count for shit. And even if you win the treble. But we, we've all kind of on reflection highlighted, yeah, only maybe Jota left and Starfield left. Moy, the bit part player left, but it's wider than that. There's more context to it than that. You always need to strengthen. So that's one thing. And 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 kind of in defence of Rogers, uh, we've not adequately replaced. We've not taken it seriously. That's probably the the, the right phrase I'm looking for. We've not taken the recruitment seriously this season. Uh, we've not been given it enough seriousness. And 
what we're left with the kind of fruits of our labour right now, languishing here in second with uh, 12 games to go. Um, however, at the same time, one of the kind of questions I like to ask is uh, which Celtic manager would do well with a, a budget? And people would say Gordon Strachan, he's one of the kind of the main candidates for that. Brendan Rodgers, yeah, he's not been given a lot of money. He has been given some money, um, but we're chosen poorly. So I I lament the fact that he doesn't have an eye for a player. I don't think he has an eye for a player recruitment-wise. Another thing that I asked Anthony was, who has he uh, improved? One person who I really would have wanted, uh, I've seen more from him, even just consistency, uh, is um, um, AJ, the right-back. But He's had a really tough time. What do you make of Rogers? Even if you're given a shoestring budget, you make the best of what you can. Anthony did throw up a really good point that, well, Rogers was just given kind of poor players to say we can buy him, we can buy him, and he would rather just stick with who he's got rather than bring in new players who we're going to give five-year contracts to. So I guess that's one thing. Rogers chooses to stick with who he's got. Another thing is. Well, you need to work with what you have. And has he really improved? So AJ is one guy that I've given you a, an example of. What's your what's your thoughts on that? I'm not sure what you ask me. Um about Rogers. Uh, he's a coach. How, man, how man. He... He's uh, made yeah, coach but... make players better. But he needs to have players available to him that are coachable. As such, um, you you started this way highlighting the the treble winning season that we had last year and the squad that's there. Then obviously we've lost a couple of players in the likes of Starfelt and Jotter. And as you said, it, it's it's more complex than that. There's more to it. Um, yes, he's lost two key players in that lineup from last season, but he's also lost Carter Vickers and Hitati and Abada through injury for the vast majority of this season as well. He's not getting the best out of Kyogo or Taylor or even Alistair Johnson, just bring this around to the conversation of the chat, because he's playing a system that doesn't suit those players anymore. Um, Greg Taylor was not a great player before Ange Postacoglu came to this club. Ange made him a good player by playing him in the, the inverted uh, fullback position, which as the season went on last year, we all championed it and said that's a great move because actually... Lo and behold, Taylor used to play as a midfielder when he was younger. So it kind of suited his his playing style to do that. And we talked earlier, Anthony mentioned about, um, you know, we got players in before the windows even opened at times and everything just seemed so smooth and easy going. And that's what Ange did. He, he recruited players that were not unrealistic, you know, purchases. And Alistair Johnson was probably, because of the, uh, the, the World Cup, he's probably one of the most high-profile ones that we got um, because his name was was getting bandied about in, in December before we actually brought him in in the January. But he still only plays a certain way. So if you look at the team that he had that we had last year and the players that are either being sold, injured for long periods, or played in a system that doesn't quite suit them, it's almost the entire starting lineup minus McGregor, O'Reilly, and Joe Hart. Um, one thing that we were obviously trying to talk about is is Rogers' ability to to bring players on to develop players. And you say you, you were looking forward to seeing what he could do with AJ. I was looking forward to see what he could do with 
Leo Labada. Um, injuries have curtailed that, and obviously we've, we've discussed before about the more recent issues with Labada, which we'll not get into too much um, as what it is at this stage. But if he's not got these players readily available to him, he can't really develop them too much. Um, and the recruitment for this is on the board and the recruitment team, whoever that may be that you know Mark Lowell's in charge of. If they're going to bring a guy like Rogers in and not recruit for his style, what's the fucking point? Because oh. we can take the treble winning season from last year, the treble winning team, and we can see how wonderful they were. But when you lose two key players, you lose three or four players to injury, and then another three players just don't actually fit the manager style that you've just hired, what's the fucking point? You don't sign somebody like Brendan Rodgers, as Anthony says, and I fully agree with him. On paper, Brendan Rodgers is one of the best managers we could get in, in modern times just now. Name and glamour and all the rest of it. I know he's fallen from grace a little bit after Leicester, but for all intents and purposes of where we are in the football world, Brendan Rodgers is one of the best managers we could get realistically. And we got him twice. And yet we're not supporting him. And you've said there, you know, you wouldn't trust Rodgers. Uh, we sign a player, he's not got an eye for a player. You're probably right to some degree. Um, but then also, you know, Lee Congerton's not, you know, not a great scout or a great talent spot on himself and he relied on him too much but I'll throw two names back at you that he did want to bring at Celtic which were not out with the realms of players that we should be able to acquire young Timothy Castani the, the left back that he wanted and John McGinn they are not out with or at the time they were not out with our budget and our our ability to sign them 4 or 5 million pounds 20-25k a week mm-hmm. we should be our starting eleven should be full of players at that level that kind of price point, that quality, whatever that brings you, they wouldn't bring him in for him in the first time, and they're clearly not bringing that in for him this time around either. So, you know, what's the point in us bringing Rodgers in and asking him to develop players when the players aren't there? You can't develop Yang and Tilio and try to change O's, um, Maida's game at the same time. It's, it's, it's Palmer's and it's too much nonsense. There's not enough quality, there's not enough yeah, I just, I don't get it. James does bring up the point. So he agrees that he's been shafted by the board, but why is he then went on his way on numerous occasions to defend them, only to throw barbs at them a week later? Um, Go back to what Anthony was saying earlier. He's stuck between having to defend the board and the club to some degree to, to keep his own job and hopefully get something out of them later on. And actually stuck between that and us, the fans, at the end of the day, he is a fan as well. I think he's caught between it. He's he's trying to keep his job, not keep his job, he's trying to keep his boss happy while also trying to keep the fans happy. See, playing devil's advocate, when I do say it, has he lost his mojo? There are players who had, at one point in their career, the zeitgeist, you know, um, and then later on, they just, for one reason or another, are no longer firing on all cylinders. Like, Jose Mino at one point was um, one of the, the, the best managers in world football. Everybody wanted him. But now, you know, he, it's, he just went down and down and down. He doesn't have that same edge. Even, like, players like Rafa Benitez. Uh, Rafa Benitez was a great manager at one point in Valencia and, and Liverpool. But now he's no longer that great manager that he was. Even Trapattoni at one point. Trapattoni was a... a fantastic manager, Sven Goran Eriksson, a fantastic European manager, 
it's not out of the ordinary for just like players as well, although it's a different thing because they, they rely on athleticism and once that goes, then they're always going to be on the downward slide. I don't know if it's a psychological thing, but I do see from what I've witnessed in football, sometimes managers have a period where they're brilliant, everybody wants them, where everything they touch turns to gold. But sometimes, after a while, after a period, it just doesn't work for them. They ran out of ideas. I'm not specific. It's difficult to judge Brendan Rodgers on that theory because of how he's he's been provided with with the recruitment from the board. Um, he's not been given a fair crack at the whip. If we're being honest, injuries have uh, conspired against him as well. But that's just one point that I would make. Can we rule out the fact that maybe he's not as hot as what he once was back then? Um, I think that, that I think that's a, a, a fair question. Uh, yeah, well, I think it, it, it absolutely is, and we we'll suppose we'll not know until the, you know the proof will be in the pudding when the the season uh, finishes. Gav, one thing I would say is like, and I'm, and I'm, you know, it's perhaps given the fact that he's he's um, he's going at the end of the season, but a lot of people were asking the same questions about Jurgen Klopp last season on the back of, I mean, Liverpool had a a really poor campaign by their standards uh, last season, and there was. Seven or eight games in a row where Liverpool had not played well at all, and Jurgen Klopp, um, and every post-match thing, we pretty much the same that Brendan's been criticised for the now talking. It was the same sort of terms. He just kept going, you know, we've lost a goal there, that can't happen. But then they would lose a very similar goal the next week, and obviously Liverpool had a poor recruitment last summer. And the same questions were being asked, um, you know, has Jurgen lost his mojo? Is this is this team, is it tired now? But then lo and behold, when he's, but everyone could see last year with Liverpool, what was needed was, you know, they needed their midfield reinforced. And they've obviously brought, the, you know, the likes of McAllister and other players in as well. And you see, and I know it's maybe not the best example, because obviously he's, he's going at the end of the season. But what we've, we're seeing from this Liverpool side this season is, a team that's reinvigorated and a team that's really going to push all the way for the title. And even although I'm, you know, I prefer Manchester United, I definitely want Liverpool to win it more than Man City because, you know, Liverpool are near a sports washing project. Um, but it's just that that kind of way. And I think we'll not know until, I, I don't really think we'll know until he gets, he gets to supported in the way he wants to play and is able to mm-hmm. have the guys in that's suited to the way he wants to play football because we've seen how destructive and brilliant it can be for Celtic when when Brendan has got what he wants on on the park. Um, it's but it is, it is a fair question and I, I, I hope the answer to the question is um, no, he's not, um, and we're celebrating the league and cup double in May. But long way to go between then uh, now and then. That's very true. Very true. Um, right, uh, we're on an hour and 40 minutes. Um, I guess I'm going to finish off with this final question, another positive one, and it's about the kind of fan discontent. Um, I know that and uh, even in the comments, a lot of people have been balanced. Um, uh, Paul McFarlane, I, I know that you, you've been kind of positive, uh, which is which is great to see. Look, the league is obviously not over. It's only over until it's mathematically impossible. And there is still some positives. Things could be turned around. Um, but it was about 
the fan discontent and I think it might have been McGinty, it might have been yourself, Anthony, I forget, forgive me, it was one of his made comment to how the, the 10 in a row season is still not going to, it's still etched in your memory, in fact, McGinty, I think it was you, it was still etched in your memory and the fan discontent and the, the, the show of emotion um, outside the grounds, you know, and it's it's not, that's not really left us and Anthony made the point about how the board are still there, the board are still there, Peter Lowell, went out and now he's back and it's the same old faces and I just wanted to kind of find out from your thoughts if things do go in a bad way, if this season does end up poorly as we fear it might, might not but if we if we do fear, then how will that kind of um, that show of emotion from the fans manifest itself, obviously you've got the Green Brigade, they had a banner a few weeks back about um to the board, again, I'm paraphrasing, on your head, be it. But they will kind of ramp things up. The worst things get. Obviously, you want to support your team, but there might be expressions after games, outside Parkhead, that sort of thing. We know what could happen. I'm just kind of wondering how bad it will be, but how ugly can it get? It's like, it's like we're kind of going back full circle um, because after the 10 in a row year, we consolidated, we funded Ange by two brilliant seasons, but it's like we've kind of went back to square one again. And I think, again, as you said, the 10 in a row season is not far away. We remember it. That discontent hasn't fully went away. I feel like there's still kind of some bad blood amongst the supporters, rightly or wrongly. And I wonder if we do lose the league in the summer, what kind of scenes will we expect? I don't know if I'm kind of off the mark with that one. Do you think there's any substance to it? I don't think that the scenes that we will see come May and June if we were to end this season without any sort of silverware. I don't think the scenes are going to be strong enough. Um, I think... You look at the 10 season, COVID season, um, you know, get your metal sharks and the protests. These people in charge of our club have no respect for us at all. They physically locked us out of our stadium, out of our, our club. They put fences up in the disguise of COVID or whatever nonsense they wanted to say about it. They locked us out because they knew how bad it was starting to get. But at the end of the day, it was only... It was only noise. There was no real action was taken. Before it got to that stage, they knew what they were doing. They eventually got rid of Lennon and they eventually announced Peter Lowell was going to step down. And that, that squashed the mood for a little bit of time. I'm not sure the mood is uh, probably the wrong... Maybe the appetite or enough people are going to be willing to go down the route of what it would take to get real change at the club because real change is needed. If we finish a season without any silverware in the manner that we're about to see it unfold, and I, I touched wood that um, it doesn't go this way for our own sake as fans, um, but I don't think the, the reaction would be strong enough. I don't think there's enough people in our support to see major change, which is needed at this club. Um, 
I just don't have, I, I don't want to make it sound like I just don't have any faith in the rest of the fans. I, I do have, I, I have a lot of, a lot of respect for all the fans that we put on hard and money in it and we deserve to support this club in the best way that we all seem fit. And it's, it's good that there's people who still want to do it no matter what, but wish they would put faces up. Yeah, that would be nice. That's um, the best comment of the night. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Love it. Thank you. I, the discontent, Gavin, it's still there for people like myself. It was there during the COVID season. It was there before the COVID season. Um, this is, as Anthony said earlier as well, we could get rid of Rogers, but it's the same board, it's the same people at the top of the table who are going to be entrusted with you know, finding the next manager and we trust them to do that. No. So we can change, we can lose everything this year. We can change the manager again after this year. We can sell 12 players and sign another 20 players. It doesn't matter because the end product is going to be the same next season. Maybe we'll do enough to scrape through and win the league next season. Maybe we won't, but we're still going to be in the same position next year, two years, five years, talking the same stuff, go through the same two or three year cycle where we win a few things. We all think everything's back to normality and we're all hunky-dory and then realise we don't actually strengthen from the position. We don't push ourselves forward. We don't have any ambition and we don't go anywhere where we as fans of a football club feel like we should be going. You're right, you're right. Um, Anthony, (laughs) difficult to disagree with McGinty there. What he's, I I think he's saying is that there's going to be, when things get bad, we might see short-term fixes, which we might have just witnessed that under Ange, a two-year period where we thought everything was going in the right direction. But reality has really kind of put us back in our place. Um, uh, so I, I guess my question to you to you is, do you think it could get toxic? I, I think it's it's been toxic for a lot of different reasons all, all season, Gavin. And there's, there's parts of it that I, I, I don't like. And as I say, there's, all, there's been an, a kind of simmering undertone about the, the section of support that just plainly didn't want Rodgers back. And when you look at especially the St. Johnson game at the start of the season, which was a draw, and when they're doing the, you know, the walk around the pitch at the end, of, you know, there's like coins and everything else being flung at them. That just kind of says this, you know, Brendan himself has almost barely been tolerated rather than even alone, you know, liked. And you just think, is this guy, is this only going to work if we start? And we, we did go on a good run after that. And that, in terms of the manager, it seemed to simmer down. But, but listen, I mean, I, I, a lot of the times, Wally and myself are, are normally you kind of say like, oh, you are kind of sticking up for the board a lot of the time. And the thing is, it's just that we're trying to just offer a bit of balance. But I think what a lot of stuff Anthony's came away with is absolutely bang on. I mean, I've no, I've got absolutely not a great thing to say about the individuals that run the club. I'm just of the opinion that, and I'd, I'd love nothing more than another Brian Dempsey or another Fergus McCann or, or that to come along and, and put some new vision into the club because as much as we, we give these guys great respect about all oh, the they keep the club on an even foot etc and all, I, I don't necessarily think not bankrupting the club that you supposedly you know you're you're putting charge of running deserves a blue peter medal um, to be honest, i think that's like the bare minimum of what you what you're supposed to do when you're um a board room of a of a massive club like celtic um but you, you know you look at since Ferguson, that that 
you know, that group, you know, rebuilt the stadium, et cetera, and completely changed, brought in the season ticket culture and the revenues went through the roof. You know, for about 20 years now, everything's sort of plateaued. You know, there's not been like any, the, the only time that we're having these, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pat themselves on the back over the latest series interim figures, but that's all, all came on the back of, of player sales and, and participation. There's not really been anything from these guys. There's not been anything, any outside of the box thinking from these guys. They have just kind of kept things ticking along to the point where there's where other teams, you know, Rangers, even from falling way back behind us, have been able to catch up. Um, and the, the argument that we have had so many opportunities now to put these guys out of sight is, is, is a fair and not taking them is, is fair. So that's why I always say about the, the board, it's not that I stick up for them, it's just that I'm, I, I just, and maybe we do need more of a, you know, pressured environment, you know, you know, campaign to, you know, try and force some kind of change. My only worry is always that that then has the negative impact on the park. That's all, you know, that's always the, the thing that I fear the most, but you could argue, I suppose, that that's happening anyway. But in terms of the individuals themselves, I've got little to no time for for any of them. To be to be perfectly honest, and I'd, I'd love nothing more than for a new, you know, someone like Fergus. You know, if there's there's not many Fergus McCanns out there, but someone like him that yeah. can you know get provide a bit of vision for the club in terms of the fans itself. I think short term, regardless, I think they'll, in, inside the stadium, it's absolutely imperative that we try and stay focused and try and get this. Try and claw, you know, get back to let natural order restore itself and get back to the top of the league. Um, I just hope that, you know, this short-lived term, you know, Rangers being at the top is, you know, akin to, you know, seeing the, an elephant at the top of a tree. Don't know how it got there, but you know, it's not going to last too long. Um, you know, if we if we do what we do best, everything should be okay. But everybody at the club from manager to the players to the coaching staff and especially those above the manager need to get the finger out and start all pulling in the same direction mm-hmm. right i've got an analogy for you that might fall flat in its face right now and make me look even more stupid than what i already have tonight but i'm going to go for it now to go back full cycle uh whatever go back full circle whenever i ask you what your favorite movie is at the start mm-hmm. of the, the show my favorite movie is the godfather now, in Godfather Part 2, which is technically mm-hmm. not the same movie, but give me that latitude. In the Godfather Part 2, Michael Corleone, who's the new Don, he gets rid of Tom Hagen, who's his consigliere, you know, his, mm-hmm. his, his, his main man of counsel. And he gets rid of him because the, the Corleone family are going into a war with the other five families of New York. And he said to Tom Hagen, you're not a wartime consigliere which is why I need you to go out of the scene and I need to bring in someone who knows how to fight a war. And that's what he did, and they won that war. And it makes me think of a comment that I saw on this podcast a few weeks back, and it was about Peter Lowell. And he said, Peter Lowell is an accountant by trade. And if we remember why Peter Lowell became um, our chief executive back in the day, it was because we needed to consolidate with overspent and we needed to rein it in. And he did that very, very successfully. But we've stuck with him for far too long. Mm-hmm. And now the landscape has shifted. And we're in a different position right now where our ambitions 
should now be extending further afield. But we're reining it in because he is still of that mindset, of his skill set. He wants to kind of keep us in this box. Mm-hmm. And we should have adapted to the change in environment. And we have not. And we're stuck with it. And what we should do is what Michael Cor- Corleone did and change his conciliary. And that is our feeling. So that is my analogy for tonight. I hope it resonates with other people and not just in my little head. But I think we're going to finish it off for tonight. We're now on an hour and 53 minutes. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, my bladder is almost bursting at the seams. I need to go for a pee. Um, but guys, I've really, really enjoyed it. We will be back for the Wednesday double pivot. We'll be back for the Friday one. And obviously this weekend, we've got another game where we will see what happens. Guys, thank you very, very much for joining me. Anthony, thank you so much for uh, bringing balance to tonight's episode, bringing balance to the force. Try my best, mate. (laughs) And Anthony, you've done so, so well not swearing tonight. I don't think you actually swore once. How did you get away with that? No, I must have fucking sworn at some point. Uh, by the way, to the viewers, thank you so, so much. Okay, thank you for, for uh, persisting with uh, my hosting tonight. Um, for Paul McFarlane, so we need to get rid of the Godfather. Listen to Hitman Gavin. Um, thank you so, so much. Are you advocating a hit on Lowell? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, who knows? But thank you so, so much. Okay, we'll be back Wednesday. It will be a, a different lineup, but really enjoyed it tonight. Guys, thank you again. McGinty, you're the man with the, the buttons tonight. Shall we hit that outro? Do we have an outro? Do we just Shout stop? No, we don't. We, we talk about this every weekend. No, we so don't. Do we just wave goodbye? Is that what we do? Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Fuck off. Cheers, guys. <laughs>